Okay, I don't hear it anymore this time. All right, good. Alrighty, so uh, I felt like the last one that we did was like one of the, I feel like one of the best ones we've ever done. Elvis one? Yeah. Okay. So let's keep the momentum going. I'll try to point my questions the same way. Yeah, because that was good. Um, I'm going to real quick just check and make sure there's not any good news stories that I'm missing out on. Ooh, there actually is something I want to talk about. It's something that I almost started talking about, but then uh, you ended up moving us on, which I ended up being good because we took up a lot of time on that first section. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about good old Ticketmaster and how they're, mm. how they're boning people that bought tickets for now canceled concerts. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and get started. I'll count us off. All right. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. We are, um, as of recording, still under um, quarantine, so... This is the third episode that we have recorded while practicing social distancing. So if you hear any, um, you know, weird, um, like, if it's staticky or if it just kind of sounds a little different, then that's the explanation why we uh, are both in our own homes and just continuing to ride this thing out and seeing kind of where this takes us. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we are very appreciative that you guys are continuing to show your support. Um, The podcast in of itself, numbers wise, is still doing very, very well. Um, Our most recent episodes have been performing very well. Um, And unfortunately, I don't have the ability to uh, look at the specific numbers, but um, I do remember some of the numbers just from looking at it a little while back, um, our Coldplay episode has passed 6,000 total listens. Wow. Wow. 6,000. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cause I remember your last update, it was only 3,000. Yep. It's at right? 6,000 now. Uh-huh. And oh total, total, we've passed the 30,000 mark. Oh my goodness. And so, um, you know, the good thing is that, you know, with quarantine like this, just a lot of people are just kind of looking towards content to kind of keep themselves occupied. So, yeah, um, Yeah. we really appreciate you guys continuing to support us and to listen. We're getting some great reviews. We've got uh, one guy that commented on our Apple reviews saying that they love every every episode that we've done. So, well, that's good. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's good to see that you guys are enjoying this and that um, that you guys just are continuing to enjoy what we do. So we are dedicated to continuing to not only um, continue to make this, but to improve and to go leaps and bounds, which I would say the biggest one has been our Instagram page. Yep. Um, yep. I found that it has been a very popular medium more so than the Facebook page has. So it's good to see that um, you guys are enjoying it. 
And if you are interested in joining in on the conversation, go check out our Instagram and Facebook pages. They're pretty much identical. Uh, I post to the Instagram first and it kind of automatically uh, reposts to the Facebook page. So uh, if you're looking on Facebook and you're wondering why it looks a little weird, it's just because I format it to Instagram first. So I've got the hashtags and, and all that on there. So, um, but go check out what we're doing there. I try and post every day. Um, just, you know, to just kind of get some participation going to get your guys' opinions. And if you want to get featured in the conversation, we like to uh, talk about our favorite comments live on each episode. So that's a good incentive for you guys to, to go get involved. And, uh, but if you're not wanting to go that far, then there's still ways that you can support the channel. The easiest being just to hit the subscribe button. Uh, it'll alert you whenever we have new episodes, which new episodes like clockwork every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. I remember one time I accidentally did it on a Sunday. Ooh. I forgot what day of the week it was. When our Iron Maiden episode came out, I accidentally did that one a day early. I remember well, like, you know, extra on... special surprise. Yeah, I remember <laughs> getting on the anchor page and going, wait, why am I already getting listens on this episode? I was like, oops, I scheduled that for a day early. <laughs> so, mm, mm-hmm. uh, but most of, most of the time, that's pretty consistent. Um, also, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Let us know what artists you would like for us to cover next. We do take your um, suggestions seriously, unless it's, you know, something dumb like, uh, like Bone Thugs and Harmony or something. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but okay. <laughs> Sorry if there's any Bone Thugs and Harmony fans out there, but that's that's not the vibe of our channel. Yeah. And also, if you check out uh, the link in our episode description, there is a link that'll take you to a page where you can send a monthly donation to the channel, where. Um, you can do a monthly pledge. And what that does is it goes towards uh, helping upgrade our equipment and uh, getting better research materials and just overall being able to just make the podcast as best as it can be. Mm -hmm. So um, one little bit of news, and this is actually something that I haven't really talked to you a lot about yet but i have mentioned it to you before but i want to go ahead and um let the listeners know of kind of a new little spinoff series that i want to start integrating into our weekly uploads okay this is gonna work in the same way that our normal episodes do and they're gonna come out once a month in kind of substitute of what we're doing right now i'm gonna plan on doing this the last uh, to come out the last monday of every month and so instead of kind of having an episode where we dedicate on an artist what i would like to do is to start uh taking a musical journey through time this is Ooh. something that i've done a lot of studying on i would say it's one of the, one of my um one of my expertises, I've taught it before at the school level, um, whenever I was a high school music teacher, 
I uh, did a special class on this. And so I've taught it a couple of semesters and have done a lot of reading, continue to do reading to try and just learn more because I know that there's always more for me to learn. And I feel like that doing this is not only going to be a great informative for you and for our listeners, but also just chance for me to learn more about this area. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do, we're going to start like way, way, way back in like prehistoric times. Well, maybe not prehistoric, but like, you know, before, <laughs> like, you know, like several thousand years BC. And right. just kind of start there, see what music was like, or kind of people's best guess of what music was like there. And mm-hmm. we're just going to slowly move our way through time. Oh. And we're going to kind of just look at all of the times that music has changed. And of course, whenever we start, you know, we're going to be moving very quickly because music changed very slowly. And then kind of as we get closer to modern time, it'll slow down dramatically, especially like when we get to the 20th century, I'll be looking mm-hmm. in depth on like every subgenre of music. And I'm still going to be doing the six song format. And what it'll do is it'll also give me a chance to really highlight like more genre specific bands, um, mm-hmm. you know, pulling from sometimes from famous artists that we would do full episodes on, but it'll also, again, kind of almost like chances to where I can have episodes full of what I would normally use as bonus songs, but that are good representations of the genres we're talking about in that particular episode. Mm-hmm. So okay. um, it'll, it'll probably be a few months before we get to that because we've already got um, our schedule pretty full on you know, kind of what's coming up, but I would say probably in the summer, expect uh, either maybe, I would say probably June um, is when you guys can expect to hear the first episode in this new series. So um, it's something that I'm really excited about and I'll let you guys know more about it as we get closer to it. I'm pretty interested to hear how you're going to do the prehistoric music because, you know, they didn't have Spotify back then. And obviously yeah. we have the we have the recordings of, you know, Baroque music and and classical music and uh uh-huh. you know, all, all the old twentieth century stuff is now streamable. But uh Yeah. That's probably gonna be the most uh or the first very interesting part to me is how that's gonna play out. So I did not actually know that we were gonna do this. So this is the first I'm hearing of it too. Maybe you mentioned I, it in I, passing, I, but I, I must have forgotten. I think I mentioned it in passing. Um, okay. But now this is official. Uh, we'll do some more planning on it. But that's uh, that's something that I'm really excited to do. And hopefully you guys are interested in that as well. So um, we'll talk more in depth about that later. But I think it's time to go ahead and get into this week's episode. Did you not have uh, some news? Uh, oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Um, <laughs> I actually ended up talking about that previous thing a little more than I thought, and I just was already in that mindset. Um, there was a little <laughs> one news story that I was intrigued by, and it's um, the ongoing war between concert goers and Ticketmaster. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Ticketmaster has kind of become a dirty word in the um, in the music world these days a lot of bands fighting against Ticketmaster for you know buying up lots of seats beforehand and then scalping them 
um, and just kind of really exploiting people's wallets to make as much money as possible. Um, I, I remember specifically Iron Maiden led a pretty intensive campaign against them. Um, and now when we're in this season of every musical concert and experience being postponed or canceled, uh, we had a lot of people that had, had bought tickets through Ticketmaster to go see these shows that are no longer happening. Yeah. And so you would think that people that bought tickets would get their money back. Right. But yeah. that is not the case. Even when um, even when the initial policy said that they would get their money back should an event get canceled. Mm. because people are not getting their money back and people are starting to really freak out because um yeah some of these shows are like, expensive yeah and so just people are really upset and Ticketmaster is kind of like just doing this mad scramble to say well hold, hold on so we said that if a show got postponed then you could get your money back but if it was cancelled then no you can't have your money back Mm. so um and then there's just like there's also other policies where it's just like you know if it's been postponed indefinitely but not canceled then it's like until we have official news of what's happening you won't get a refund until 2021 mm. and okay. so just a lot of people are getting really pissed off about it and rightly so Ticketmaster, right. just they have not done a good job of taking care of their audience Mm-hmm. The 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 concert goer is kind of been made clear is not at the foremost of their minds. And it'd be one thing if this was like the first time that they've ever done something shady like this, but they've had a reputation for many years now of being a a not very user oriented business. I did not know that about so, Ticketmaster. I mean, everybody I know pretty- uses Ticketmaster. Well, yeah, because mainly because you really kind of don't have a choice. Uh, I kind of see them like, I kind of see them like airline companies. Airline companies, for the most part, are fairly terrible with customer service. Mm. And the reason that they can get away with it is because you don't have really much of a choice. Right. It's like you, people have to fly to get places. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, you know, we're going to treat you however way you want, and you're still going to come back to us because you don't have very many other options as when it comes to flying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when there's no alternative, it's kind of like, you know, they're a little more transparent about, you know, hey, sorry, but not sorry. Right. I'm very interested, though, through this whole process. Again, we talked last episode about how kind of postulating maybe what's going to be different when all this stuff kind of gets rebooted. I wouldn't be surprised if there comes a huge change on how tickets are distributed after all this. Oh yeah. There's going to be a huge change on everything in the music industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think in some cases and like this one, it's going to be for the better, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's, that, that really sucks. It really sucks. I know I had tickets to yeah. go see um, Ozzy and uh, Dave Mustaine, Dave Mustaine, and Megadeth um, 
uh, over the summer. Oh, you of, had tickets for the Megadeth show? It was it was Ozzy and Megadeth on. It was like the summer of uh, 2018, I think. And then oh, wow. that's when Ozzy had to get into rehab because uh, he fell and and broke something or uh, something. And, yeah. And then so that got yeah. postponed, and then it got postponed for another reason, and then whatever it was. Yeah, that I can't remember the whole. The world has, the world and higher powers have conspired against Ozzy having this farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. Like I want to say, like since like 2017, he's been trying to get this tour going, and now I'm convinced that between this and his Parkinson's diagnosis, it's like this tour ain't ever gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, un- unfortunately, unfortunately. I was really looking forward to it. I was going to go with uh, one of my really good friends from high school, uh, who's also a big metalhead, um, and he's the one who got me into Megadeth, and um, so that's why we bought tickets to Megadeth. So, um, anyway, I mean that's that's who I would probably pay my money to go see too. But of course, you know, seeing Ozzy—that's a once in a lifetime experience. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. Well, and Megadeth, you know, they're not. Dave Mustaine's not getting any younger, and neither is Dave. Oh Ellis. yeah, he just he just had a he just had a pretty intense battle with cancer that thankfully he has beaten. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it's just time's gonna show that these guys are only human, especially these guys that mm-hmm. really abused their bodies when they were younger with all kinds of drugs and alcohol. It's just <laughs> oh, they're gonna yeah. find that's gonna it's gonna catch up with the vent, especially man, Dave Mustaine is kind of up there with Ozzy as far as just like, how is this guy alive? He's up there with Keith Richards. I mean, yeah, he said he, he got kicked 13... out of Alcoholica for being an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. He's died so... 13 times. Oh my goodness. Is that how many? Okay. I only yep. thought it was like once or twice. No, he's died 13 times. He said, wow. That's why he can, he says it's his lucky number. I'm not surprised. I am not surprised, to be honest. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, speaking of death, we should get to today's band. <laughs> good good transition there. <laughs> yeah, who, um, and the band today is actually named... Death. Death. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so... This band I know almost nothing about. So oh, these are, these are my favorite guess, kinds of episodes to do. I'm gonna guess that they are like an '80s era, starting in the '80s era, uh, thrash metal band, and they were kind of too late to hop on the bandwagon of, uh, you know, the big four. Uh, but they have been slow down and play less intense stuff by the 90s and, and 2000s. Hmm. Very interesting hypothesis. <laughs> I think I think you should do that more often when we have these bands that you don't know about. I'm curious to kind of see from the music if you can kind of guess kind of where they fit and what their trajectory is that's what i think yeah so so you were <laughs> correct that they did start in the 80s their first album came out in 87 yeah late 80s Woo, that was my guess yep 
Um, <laughs> that was that was a uh, scream scream bloody gore was the first record. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys are actually not thrash metal. Uh, uh, this these guys were the first death metal band. Hence the term death metal. Yep. Death metal mm. is the reason they call it is because it's you're doing metal in the style of death. And not only were they the first death metal band, they are widely considered to be the greatest of the death metal bands. I mean, I can't think of another death metal band, so I'd have to say, yeah. <laughs> oh, then we're going to we're going to have a good old education here. So some other very famous death metal <laughs> bands would be Cannibal Corpse and oh, yeah. Morbid Angel Deicide, mm-hmm. Obituary, mm-hmm. Um, Opeth, at least early Opeth fits into that category. Um, Amon mm-hmm. Amarth, Black Dahlia Murder. Um, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I would have to say Death but, is better than all of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are, they are, I can think of one death metal band that I like more, and that would be Opeth. But well, also, Opeth is not purely death metal, not in the way that death is. Although I can well, also get is, down to some by definition depending you know. on the mood. So um, yeah, so yeah, death started death metal, but they also were, I would say, more than any other band as they evolved. They were the ones that just pushed death metal forward more than any other band did. They mm-hmm. were at the head of death metal's every innovation throughout the nineties. Ooh, okay. So, and we'll okay. I'll talk a little bit more in depth about that when we officially get into like the history. Um, but so, so the reason album, that they're the reason that they're on this podcast is because they invented a genre, and maybe that yeah. they're not necessarily the most popular band of the metal scene. They're influential. Oh, absolutely! They're one of the most influential bands, not just of metal, but I would say of any of all of music, just because of the fact that like death metal is such an iconic genre to mm-hmm. not only start it but to be the prime innovators of it throughout their career um i think that's that that's pretty point. incredible um you know and i would say that as when you're talking about the underground scene yes they are one of the most popular metal bands mm-hmm. it's just i just think that you haven't dipped into that area of metal before and so no, probably, not at you know, all. <laughs> yeah, you mainly stay in the the hair metal slash thrash arena. Oh, but, no. when you, but as far as ex- extreme metal as a whole, so extreme metal is kind of an umbrella term that you would put like death metal, black metal, grindcore, anything that has like the insane guttural vocals, the intense lyrics, the They're not very accessible. Stuff yes, not anything that you know would you're gonna be, hear on the radio, yeah, or even something that you can even really sing along to. Like, something like power metal is not like a commercial genre, but it's not extreme because it's more like operatic vocals and like fantasy inspired lyrics, um, very melodic in nature. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, death were one of the first extreme metal bands kind of, you know, among those that were kind of starting the first wave of black metal, you know, they're, they're kind of put 
as the forefathers of extreme music alongside bands like Celtic Frost and Venom and Bathory. Um, they were, they really were the first, one of the first bands to have any kind of guttural vocals. Hmm. I mean, they, they kind of, they, I mean, yes, you had some of the thrash metal bands that, like, you know, even you even look like a band like Slayer that really didn't sing anything. They more just kind of a nasty snarl shout. Um, and then you had... But it, it, wasn't, some, it wasn't like the kind of stuff. It wasn't as extreme yep. as what Death did. Yeah. And so, so... Yeah, okay. They sound very influenced by Slayer. Like, a oh, lot of absolutely. their riffs sound yeah. very Slayer. Their early so, death metal is all Slayer worship, and I would say it's when we get sense. to the nine. It's when we get to the nineties that we kind of steer away from that, and it kind of evolves into something that's purely its own thing. You listen to a lot of the eighties death metal albums, stuff that was going on in the late eighties. You can tell that the biggest thing they were influenced by was Slayer, specifically that Rain and Blood record. I would still say that Rain and Blood is the most brutal album of the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, fewer people that. were playing faster than them, and then you add in that crisp production that just made everything stand out in such a terrifying way. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say it wasn't until the '90s that we started to finally get music that was more brutal than that, and death metal kind of eclipsed Slayer. Mm-hmm. Which, if you want to know well, more about Slayer, go check out our Slayer episode. Oh yeah, we do have a Slayer episode. We do. We do, uh, but uh, okay. So let's let's start about you know I just talked about their influence. Let's start about how they started and so, kind of their history. Yeah. So there's there's only one central figure that has that stays constant throughout Death's career, the the mastermind mm-hmm. with whom the band lived and died by, and that was oh lived and died by. Yes, so this band has not been together since late nineties, and never will get oh, back okay. together, and will never get back together again. Okay, because um, so the main figure of death is a man named Chuck Schuldiner, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was known in the metal community as Evil Chuck. <laughs> Chuck, he he was not only um, one of the two lead guitarists of the band, so it was dual leads mm-hmm. at all times in the band. Um, but also, he was the singer or the, the screamer. Ah. So, I and do have a question he, for, the, for the vocals, at least. It sounds almost like his vocals over... I mean, listening to these songs, it sounds like as the, the production got better, his voice got higher. Yes. Was, I would was say that, that a, his was voice that a thing got that better through time. So he um, used to have just... like the deep guttural and yeah, then over you time. Listen, you listen to the early albums, he's mainly staying in the low guttural range. And then, yeah, as time goes on, he kind of switches to a higher, which I actually like more. I think that he does it really, really well. Oh, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, his yeah, I would say just, he just he just got better and better as time went on. But um, so so he found the other guys. Yes. Yeah, so pretty much just 
it was rare for a musician to stay more than two albums. It was a oh. constantly revolving door because his vision was always so um, strong that he didn't care about kind of loyalty to the band. If you couldn't execute his forward thinking vision, then he was going to go find someone who could. And he wasn't going to feel sad about if your feelings got hurt. Wow. I mean, this man, wow. I want to say that this, this man was like the Steve Jobs of metal. Where he was <laughs> I was about so, to say that, yeah. He was so innovative wow. and just was far, so far ahead of everyone at all times as far as where to take death metal. But because of that, it made him a very difficult guy to work with. Mm-hmm. And just, he was just, he was kind of like this mad genius. Um, but he just always had like these crazy reasons of why, you know, he couldn't keep with, with a band, but he was also known to be like this really nice guy. Hmm. It was just like in the creative process, he just like, was just like, you know, sorry, he's a perfect, you know, you're, he's absolutely. And he never wanted to do things the same way twice. Every album is so different from the previous one. Hmm. And okay. because of that, he's they're they're a band that they don't have a single bad record. So every record I'm is assuming he wrote everything. Oh yes, he was. The was sp- there any co-writing? Most, at all? Mostly. Uh, I mean, you know, people would bring ideas, and of course, you know, whoever was his other guitarist would kind of you know formulate guitar parts with him. But I mean, he was the main writer. Okay. No one, no one else would bring fully formed songs to him. Sounds a lot like Megadeth. The more that you're yeah. explaining it, you know, because they they rotate musicians all the time. The only guy who that's stays true other than is Dave Ellison. Mustaine writes mm-hmm. all the stuff, but we don't even, but we don't even have another. We don't even have a Dave Ellison kind of guy in death either. That's true. No one in the band lasts more than two albums. That's that's the limit of how far anyone makes it in in death. Besides Chuck, uh huh. How many albums? And uh, they have. I want to say seven. Huh. So seven seven revolutionary records. Every single one of them revolutionary in some way. Wow. So we can kind of just real quick kind of just walk through those records. So, and also the crazy thing is, is I'll I'll kind of tell you who was on these records because in order to execute his music, he acquired the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And just about everyone that's played in death is like a legend in their own right. And a lot of them became legends because... Uh, he plucked them out of obscurity and turned them into world-class death metal musicians. Mm. Okay. So a lot of these guys kind of have Chuck to thank for jumpstarting their career. Okay. So you've got the Scream Bloody Gore album that comes out first. That's in 87. And by the way, also, this is a Florida-based band. So Florida Uh, is like the American... And Florida is the American capital of death metal, specifically Tampa. All the whole 
first wave of death metal comes out of that scene. If people mm-hmm. didn't already live there, then they moved there because that was the place to go. That's where the scene was born, mainly because mm-hmm. that's where Chuck was. Chuck started mm-hmm. that scene down there. That's where Cannibal Corpse came out of and Morbid Angel and Obituary and Autopsy. They all come from that area, from the Tampa. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, there was a very there was a legendary studio that all the death metal bands went to go record because they were like the first studio to kind of figure out how to record death metal well to where you could play everything so fast and so low but still hear everything. Mm, yeah, that's a that's and, a big issue. Yeah. Hmm. So um. So yeah, so you've got the first one, Scream Bloody Gore. So, I mean, this album's revolutionary in itself because it just creates. You've got the you've got the crazy gore obsessed lyrics, which is a staple of death metal. Yeah, Cannibal Corpse built their entire career on. It's just every song is just another gruesome way of how zombies are going to kill you. Yeah, yeah, and you know you've got you know future death metal bands like bloodbath that just like it's almost kind of parody but more just kind of celebrating old school death metal which the focus of it was either gore or satan that was those were the Mm -hmm. two things that early death metal was about and uh chuck set the template for that he really Mm -hmm. introduced guttural vocals again i'm not gonna say he was the first to do it but he was to make it like a popular thing mm-hmm. where he did then everyone else started doing it also this was the first ex- not just death metal but extreme metal album released on a major label wow so that okay. was also a big deal and also on this first album, besides the drums, Chuck actually plays everything himself. He plays lead guitar, he plays rhythm guitar, he plays bass, and he does the vocals. And then he has Chris Reifert on drums. Now, do do um, we have any Scream Bloody Gore songs on the playlist? Yes, we do. The final song on the set is, is from Scream Bloody Gore. Okay, that, that, that's what I figured because it the guitars sound very, very scooped. They sound great um, with the drums, but once that bass comes in, you can kind of tell they haven't really figured out how to mix something like this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it the bass is a little bit too overpowering. There's a little bit of, of, of push and pull with, you know, the level setting and the equalization. And, and there's definitely like promise there, but it hadn't, fleshed out near as much as yeah the it's rest of the songs this was definitely the beginning and so um, by the way also I just wanted to mention Chris Reifert ends up becoming the not only the drummer but the lead singer of the very famous death metal band Autopsy oh so you okay. can imagine how insane death metal drums are I cannot imagine someone playing death metal drums and doing guttural vocals at the same time. I've seen videos <laughs> of him doing this live, and I'm just like, I don't, you're not human. Oh, uh, there's no way. 
There's no way. I mean, even watching like Brand Daler try to do clean vocals while drumming, you know, really slow Mastodon songs is is hard. You know, I mean, drumming and mm-hmm. singing, they just don't go together as easily yeah, as, as other instruments. It's very difficult. That's kind of that's awesome. Props to him. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But this was how he got he started his career as playing on the first death record mm-hmm. and then went on to form autopsy later on. Like in, nice. I want to say in like maybe eighty nine, eighty eight mm-hmm. or eighty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so immediately, this album is a very powerful record in the underground because at this point, kind of thrash had moved away from the underground. Mm-hmm. Um, it was starting to you know evolve past it, and so like death metal was kind of the next thing in the American metal underground scene to kind of you know become the next thing. Mm-hmm. And Scream Bloody Roar was kind of the album that just kickstarted that whole movement. And so um, then we move on a year later to the follow up, which is Leprosy. Oh, I love yeah. the sounds on this album. His voice on this album, I think, is amazing. Uh, yeah, I think he 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 went a long way for, between the two songs on each album. I think he came a long way on his voice. I think the guitars sound way better. Um, I think, but it's it still got that. It's still kind of got a bit of a lo-fi, grimy feel to it. A little, a little bit, a little bit. And obviously, I'll mention more when we get to the songs. But man, man, I can see how that album would be revolutionary compared to, you know, if that first one was, then that second one is is going to be top of the world in in the underground metal scene. Which I mean, top of the isn't much but you know uh-huh this no. is the album where where i feel mostly that death metal finds its compositional style because mm-hmm. even though stream bloody gore was so intense and extreme it still borrowed a lot from thrash particularly you can hear a lot of slayer in scream bloody gore just mm-hmm. with uh, a little more dirt on the mix as well as those crazy vocals yeah, but now once we get to leprosy, just the way that they're composing the riffs and the grooves, um, this is definitely a this is a pure death metal record. They're kind of leaving the thrash element in the past and kind of okay now this is what we're going to build death metal upon. Mm-hmm. And still at this point, they don't have a lot of um, contemporaries. I would say once we get to eighty nine that's when kind of the rest of the death metal scene starts to really spark. You've got the first Morbid Angel coming out in 89. Uh, the first Cannibal Corpse, I want to say, comes out in 90. Um, kind of the rest of what I would say forms the first wave of death metal kind of comes around 89 to 90. So death is kind of still at the forefront ahead of everyone, kind of setting up all of the... Um, all of the norms of what death metal is going to be all about. Mm-hmm. And Leprosy, I think, is among the probably the most important of those early albums as far as determining the composition, the techniques that were used, the way that you solo, the way that the songs are put together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, Leprosy was just a big step forward. Right. And then you get to um, 1990 which is where you get the album Spiritual Healing. 
Oh. Okay. Spiritual healing musically sounds very similar to leprosy, but this is where the lyrics really start to change. Okay. From, so, from the whole uh, Satan and gore, it, is it more intellectual? Is it more extreme? Yes, it starts, it starts to get more societal. Oh. It starts to look inward more, dealing with uh, kind of issues of the self and the spirit. Um, looking at things that are going on in the world and offering critique, just you know, kind of <laughs> moving critique. away from just, <laughs> just you know, kind of just like like there's songs like there's an there's an anti-abortion song on it. And it's just like that's really strange for a death metal band to sing about. Yeah, but at the same time, they figure out a way to make it sound really metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of. You know, just looking more at like real things rather than just like, you know, the most insane, violent images that you can come up with, like the first two albums were. Mm-hmm. Like, like you look at Scream Bloody Gore, you've got an album, a song on there called Regurgitated Guts. Oh my goodness. I mean, there's really no, there's really no finesse in the lyrics to a song like that. <laughs> yeah, you got to have a board of, of different words that kind of give off the mood that you want and then close your eyes and point to one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got songs like zombie ritual and, um, open casket and mm-hmm. born dead leprosy. Like you can tell that that's the first two albums. That's what the lyrics are focused on. But when you get to spiritual healing, you've got the, really the first death metal band. That's like, okay, we don't have to talk about those things. We can still be brutal while talking about things that are more real, that people are going to experience more in their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And things that personally Chuck was going through. Oh, okay. So it's not just writing a song for the sake of, kind of like Elton John writing a song for the sake of just creating a character. He's actually singing from personal experience. Kind of like, uh, Kind of like the thrash metal scene at that time yes exactly okay so so death was also the not only were they the first to establish the movement but they were the first to start changing it especially right as you know 1990 this is when death metal really starts to explode in the underground Mm -hmm. and they're already going okay we need let's let's start to change things up here and also to mention um this is one of the few times that for the most part, the band is the same between leprosy and spiritual healing. Mm. Okay. But so they, they, um, they changed someone, obviously. Yeah, but then Chuck fires the entire band after this because he didn't want to tour Europe, but they wanted to, so they went and toured without him. <gasps> wow. And he said he said, Nope, you can't do that, and fire them all. Wow. Now, in their defense, the tour was already scheduled, Mm -hmm. and Chuck just decided he didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He was kind of a homebody. Yeah, Yeah. and they (laughs) just like, but we're gonna like, we're gonna like get so much exposure when we go tour Europe. We're gonna make a lot of money, and Chuck was just like, nope, we're not going. And they just said, fine, we'll go without you. Ooh, okay. That didn't turn out well for them. Yeah, yeah, I figured. So, when we move to um, 
the next record uh, in 91, which is Human, this is, I think, where they make the biggest change. Okay. And we okay. do have a, we have a song from Human on this on this set. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, I think this is when death metal just takes a gigantic step forward in a step forward that I feel like the rest of the death metal scene does not follow for quite some time. And um, this is when I think the the production really changes. Uh, the second song in our set is from Human. So to mm-hmm. just to kind of get you your idea of where we are sonically. Yep. Yep. Um, not it's only that, but... A little bit more full, yeah. yeah, the the production is very crisp, very intentionally dry. And also, he gets some players that just really challenge the way death metal is played. He gets um, Paul Masvidal and Sean Reinhardt from Cynic. Uh, yeah. Hey, look at that. Okay. Yep. So before I've they made that first that. Cynic album, they uh, they got their start playing on the Human record with Chuck. Cynic was our bonus for Between the Married and Me? Yes. Yeah, okay. I thought I recognized uh, Sean's name, whatever his last name was. <laughs> Sean Reinhardt. Okay, yeah. Who tragically passed away earlier this year. Mm. Mm. And also, okay. we've got uh, Steve DiGiorgio on bass, one of the greatest metal bass players of all time. Ooh. I mean, this okay. this guy can play 30-second notes with his fingers. Mm, I mean, so can Cliff, you know. <laughs> but death metal speed, 30-second notes? Well, you got me there. And, and he plays a fretless bass. Ooh. Now that's a unique one there. Okay. Yeah. He he was a he was a huge um, pioneer in metal bass playing in the nineties. Right now he's with Testament. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. And that's, I got to see him uh, when I went to go see Slayer when Testament uh, was one of the opening acts, and DeGiorgio was just ripping it up there. I believe it. You can play thirty second notes on a bass at death metal speed on a fretless bass. Oh yeah, uh-huh. I'd be showing off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So they really bring those musicians really bring a like almost like a jazzy element hmm. to death metal to where it's it's not just like brutal like double beat like you listen to the playing on that like drums it's just it's very um, very uniquely played where you've got a lot of jazzy touches to the way the cymbals are being played it's not as centered around it being really tight but kind of very loose and free form Mm -hmm. but i mean human just changed the game hardcore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this this really bringing this this virtuoso technicality to death metal where before it was just about fast brutal riffs with atonal solos now we've got like tons of time signature changes and key changes and tempo changes and um, just using a lot of intentionally weird notes that d- don't just sound like evil atonal, but like are using weird modes and jazzy tones to it. I mean, just this album just rocked the metal scene when it came out. Okay. I mean, I, I can hear it now that you're saying that. I can hear that there's a little bit more of a, of a extra 
outside special sauce to to that song uh-huh. that we have. So I'm going to guess that the next one is going to be Sound of Perseverance. No, it is not. Oh. It is actually an album that is not featured on our list, and it is Individual Thought Patterns. Hmm. Okay. So Individual Thought Patterns, um, the two Cynic guys, they jump out, but Steve DiGiorgio actually stays with him for this next record. And uh, on drums, he gets the almighty Gene Hoagland, which I don't know if you've heard that name before. Not heard that name, but the way that you introduced him, I'm curious to see what he's done. Oh, it's kind of easier to talk about what he hasn't done. So right now he is also <laughs> in Testament. Okay. So him and DeGiorgio are, are reunited in Testament right now. Um, he's the drummer for Death Clock. So all, the, all, the, all the Metalocalypse music, he drummed on that. Um, he, let me let me just pull this up here because I gotta just read everything that he's been in. Okay. So um, he's played. He's been Devin Townsend's drummer for a long time. Wow. Um, he's been with Strapping Young Lad, which was Devin Townsend's original band. Uh, he played in Fear Factory. He's oh. been in. Um, he's been in just in just tons of smaller bands. He got his start at Dark Angel. Um, he's been in mm-hmm. Tenet and Meldrum, Unearth. He's just he's just kind of one of those guys like you. You want the best? You just you call up Gene Hoagland and he'll give you the best. Okay. Wow. And he's just he's he's freaking huge too. He's like. Uh, I want to say he's like six foot four or something. Like he's, wow. he's known as he's known as the gentle giant. <laughs> he's not gentle, and on the also drum. he's no because <laughs> his other name is the human drum machine because he doesn't need a click track. He plays perfect rhythm at whatever speed. He says I've heard an interview with him saying that he. One of his favorite pastimes when he's on the road is to just sit in his hotel room and like try and um, perfectly count out a minute. Ooh, <laughs> that so, must yeah. be wow. Okay, so okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> and then on freaking guitar, he gets Andy LaRock, who is King Diamond's guitar player. Whoa, 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 whoa! The King Diamond from like Merciful early, Fate. early eighties. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Like okay. a guy wow. that I would never associate with the death metal scene. That is not. Yeah, me neither. I mean, King King the... Diamond's barely like thrash. You know, I mean, barely, barely. I mean, he he is extreme metal technically because he was one of the forefathers of black metal. Right. But um, I mean, just Andy LaRock. So when he came on, he injected this sense of melody, and so we kind of have the birth of melodic death metal with individual thought patterns. Wow! Oh, so they created another genre. Yep. <laughs> One wasn't good uh, enough, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and this is not the last subgenre that they're going to create. Oh wow! Okay. So. Okay. Um, after this one, you have the album Symbolic, 
mm-hmm. where Steve DiGiorgio leaves, but Gene Hoagland stays on drums, and he picks up some fairly unknown artists to round out um, bass and guitar. And Symbolic really pushes the mel- melody forward more so than individual thought patterns did. Mm-hmm. And- I'm, I'm really sad we don't have an individual thought pattern song because... You were just talking about how he injected melody into everything, and then we can't hear any of it. Well, uh, you hear the mel- you hear the melody in symbolic because symbolic was even more melodic. We have a symbolic song, okay? okay. Yes, we do. Cool. And cool. then after that was the final album, which was uh, "Sound of Perseverance." Yes, and which yes. is my which has the, the cover to "Painkiller." Yes, so, it does. Um, and I've heard so many things about this album um, because I, you know, a lot of my other metalhead buddies, you know, talk about death all the time, you know, and mm-hmm. how they're such a great band and they're obsessed with death. And what's your favorite death album? Oh, Sound of Perseverance. And now listening to some of the songs, I can kind of see why. I mean, obviously, Sound- his, his voice is, is, is a little bit higher than from the early days. Uh-huh. Uh, and the sound production is crazy good they're really tight there's a part in uh-huh. one of the songs where i don't know how they stay together uh, yeah <laughs> obviously it progressed a lot so, i can i can see how they're really pushing the genre forward i can see it mm-hmm. my interest is peaked okay yeah okay so i would say with sound of perseverance this is the beginning of not only progressive death metal but of technical death metal you probably mm. uh you probably heard the phrase tech death before, which has kind of become a uh, a bit of a dirty word in the death metal community because it got very out of hand <laughs> in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, when but, I hear tech death, all I think of is like EDM. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not techno death metal. It's technical, which means it's just it's it's like some of the most overtly complex music ever made in any genre. It's like pretty oh, much. If I like, wanted that, I'd just listen to Dream Theater. No, not that kind <laughs> of technical. I'm talking about just like, like unholy fast blast beats over sweet picking for five minutes each song. No, I know. <laughs> no it's, dynamics. It's kind of not. No it's dynamics. Kind of not a, it's not really a very respected subgenre, but still, it was a very influential genre in the mid 2000s and you can really trace its origins back to sound of perseverance Hmm. because the technicality on that album is was way beyond what other death metal bands were doing at that time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's a very progressive record too it's kind of the first progressive death metal record which also was another thing that got very big in the in the 2000s, thanks to bands like Opeth, and then mm-hmm. later between the Married and Me, yeah, which we have an episode on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the reason why this was the last Death Record was for two things: one, because Chuck decided that just he didn't want to do death metal anymore; he felt like he had pushed death metal as far as he felt like he could take it, and mm-hmm. was really tired of screaming all the time. <laughs> and wanted wanted to wanted to sing, but he knew that if he ever sang on a death record, that like his fans would kill him, and so he decided yeah. to start another band called Control Denied, 
where he could kind of mm. get more melodic. Now he didn't sing on it. He he got another singer, but you know, to where he could still be brutal, but he could like move forward with clean vocals. And he uses most of the band from Sound of Perseverance to make the first Control Denied record. But unfortunately, and he's got a philosophy with that band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but unfortunately, pretty soon after that first one came out, uh, Chuck Schuldiner died of brain cancer. Oh. Okay. He died in like 2001. Wow. And so, of course, because of that, you know, death for sure was forever um, disbanded. Because yeah. when the only when the only consistent member as well as the singular creative force of the band dies, that means it's just, you know, you can't ever get the band back together. Yep. Yep. Well But yeah, we uh we've talked a long time, but I mean death's impact on the metal scene is so significant that so much more than it warranted some okay. extra time to talk about it. Yep. Wow. So with He's that context now, we can we can get into some more of the intricacies in our next segment when we talk about the yes, songs. Yes, we can. Yep. So go ahead and stick with us, guys. Uh, we'll be back here after a short break, and we're going to get into a uh, song. So stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. Hello. This is going to be hilarious because we're just going to act like we're miles apart. <laughs> yeah. Be, so we're not even going to tell them what happened. No. Why not? Okay. I would, but okay. Hmm. You know, now I think about it. I think maybe it could be funny. Yeah, yeah. well, and then it would explain, like, because the third part might sound a little bit off. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If we if we get to that, if it just seems natural, then we can. But, I don't know. I'll just leave that to you, and then it doesn't happen, doesn't happen. All right, well, we'll just go ahead and get rolling then. Okay. Uh, I'll have you count off. Okay. My volume's way down. Let me turn that up real quick. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about death and evil Chuck and his evil master plan for the band and how they're so influential. And now it's time to talk about our six songs for this episode. So, Lucas, what do I mean by that? So, in every episode, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, um, we dedicate this segment to talking about usually six songs. 
to just kind of be able to laser focus in on the details that we talked about in the first segment. So it's easy for us to like describe what death sounds like. But when we talk about it in the context of specific songs, it, it creates a better picture as well as if you've never listened to the band before, these six songs are going to be your best starting point. So I'm not picking necessarily my favorite death songs. I'm not picking the most popular death songs or what I think are objectively the best ones, but rather these are the songs that you should listen to if you've never listened to the band. Plus, I pick them and order them in such a way to where when you listen to them from start to finish, there's like a emotional arc from start to finish. The songs transition well off each other, and um, it leads to a great cathartic moment towards the end of the set. So um, in the link of the description of the episode, or there's a link in the description of the episode where you can go to a Spotify playlist and it'll have all the songs on there for you to listen to. Please, especially if you've never listened to these songs before, go check them out. If you're one of those people that metal is not your thing, still check it out. You never know unless you give it a listen. Who knows? Maybe this is the band that converts you to being a metalhead. I will say that this is the band that converted me into being a death metalhead. So This band is kind of extreme for me. I'm not going to lie. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I like to each their own. I like them, but they're they're a bit more on the extreme uh, side of the range of tolerance for me. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll get more into that on our final thoughts. Oh yes, we will. Oh, yes, we will. Um, well, let's go ahead and start with the first song. All right, the first song is my favorite song, um, "Leprosy," off of Ooh. the album "Leprosy." Yes, so. Uh, this is the the song that starts that album. Right. Right. And it's uh it is this is pure death metal right here. Yes. I don't I would say unless you're, you know, singing like intensely blas blasphemic lyrics, like this is about as um as straightforward death metal as it gets. Yeah, it's, it's super just, fast. It's yep. got the speed. It's got the crazy, weird, gory lyrics. It's got the atonal solo at the end, the weird breakdowns. Everything sounds like a machine. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the guitar tone so much. I mean, yes. when we were listening to this first and, and you turned on this song, I looked at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guitar tone is exactly what I'm going for. Uh, as As somebody who's not even into this, extreme side of metal well it seems like then you really like death metal guitars because this album was among the uh albums that really kind of set the template for how death metal would sound at least in that first wave um i guess death metal death metal sounds very different now than it did before just because of just different experimentation and just philosophical approaches in general to how death metal should be but from like 80 Eight, which is when this album came out to mm-hmm. like 93 like this sound was very strictly adhered to as far as american death metal is concerned it's such a good sound yeah just kind of having <laughs> feeling like it has like a bunch of dirt thrown on it yeah that but you can still it, hear everything it's not like it's all mud mm-hmm. it is it, i guess dirt is a good way of describing it yeah it's it's dirt without being submerged yeah which, you know, there, a lot of uh, a lot of work went into um, producing the more sound, death metal sound, which was more sound was a 
a uh, recording studio in Florida where all those early death metal uh, records were recorded. Right. And once they cracked the code there, and I want to say that like by leprosy, that's kind of when, because Scream Bloody Gore still has a bit of that, um, that novice sound to it. Yeah, kind it of, does. It still yeah. sounds very DIY. <laughs> DIY. As well the as bass just, is like, just too much. I'm and sorry. just like kind of having a feeling of, you know, this is a new extreme sound that we just don't know how to capture correctly. They got it perfectly or, on this record. Where by leprosy, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and you can just hear that right in the song that this is just, this is not thrash metal. This is not um, any kind of metal that had existed before. This is like unadulterated pure death metal. And mm-hmm. you listen to early Morbid Angel, early Cannibal Corpse. Um, obituary, all those early influential death metal bands, like they all adopted this sound. And and another thing too is that the drums are not kind of your straightforward thrash drums either. I mean, there's some pretty intricate, at least drum wise, intricate breakdowns in this song, mm-hmm. where the snare isn't just hitting on the two and the four. I mean, it's it's doing some complicated rhythms. And I mean, you know, you'll just have to listen to the song. You've listened to the song, but, you know, our listeners should just listen to the song and, and, and listen to those parts where the drummer is taking a little bit of liberty and coming up with some really interesting and nice groups. Yes. And I think that's, that's, that's I would assume that's kind of a new thing for something this extreme, this fast, to have something really different, so... Yeah, I mean, Death was just, they were always, um, ex- they were always content with experimenting. They, yes. if anything started to sound um, typical or predictable, then they moved on from it. Mm-hmm. And you can you can really hear how a, a lot of these drum grooves, like you talk about those interesting ones, that's something that really factors into a band like Obituary Sound, that they don't necessarily go for the blast beats or the double time crazy stuff but rather they they took inspiration from the groove side of death metal what i think is really showcased well in this first song leprosy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they kind of explored you know instead of death metal being fast and extreme let's make death metal just like um powerful and heavy and still super brutal Mm-hmm. this is a this is a brutal song this is no it's like crazy i would say- it's crazy fast uh I, I used to think that like one of the fastest songs in the world was no place for disgrace uh and i think this one might beat it i'll have to look at the bpm but oh well, then you haven't you haven't listened to uh rain and blood all the way through then. uh well okay because i would fastest that's that's got some I would say even faster. I mean, it's stuff. got fast grooves, but consistently fast. I mean, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rain and blood. It's consistent. There's stuff on there I listen to, and I'm just like, I don't even know how a human body is capable. <laughs> and I'm gonna, and then, and down the line, I'm, I'll introduce you to some even faster stuff as well. Once you get into like grindcore and into like, oh. getting into the '90s era of death metal, <laughs> right, right, and. It just it gets stupid fast. Mm-hmm. You listen to something like Cryptopsy, and you're just like, okay, I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. Oh boy! <laughs> but again, that's 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 a little ways down the line. That's something we'll 
areas like that we'll probably cover in like our music history episodes. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I think another great thing and and a really uh, very notable thing I think why you put this at the beginning of the playlist is because it doesn't start off in your face brutal fast you know killer slam death metal extremeness yeah but it eases there, you in really well it does it does kind of show you this is what the guitars are going to sound like so you know what you're getting into without you know right from the start and i think it's really cool i kind of like that yeah i think it was great and you've got you've got a great intro howl so it's just kind of like everything is given to you and kind of like showing you okay Here's what the guitars are going to sound like. Here's what the vocals are going to sound like. Here's what the drums are going to sound like, especially when it switches to that double time. Yeah. <laughs> then it's just kind of like, at that point, you have every ingredient you need to understand the sound of death metal. And then from here on, we're going to, every song after that is going to challenge what the standards of death metal are. Oh, that howl was so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great intro. Great intro. Um, I think, you know, this being my favorite song, I could go on and on about it. But if you have nothing else to talk about, we should maybe move to the next song. Yeah. Oh, wait. But before we move on, I just want to ask, what was your favorite uh, part of this song? Oh. What, what was the part that stood out to you the most? Uh, all of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any part in this song. I mean, the, the vocal style is not my preferred, you know, vocal style to listen to. But that's just, that's Chuck and his way of thinking, and I get that. Um, but I would say none, no parts of this song really stand out to me other than that howl at the beginning. And the, uh, oh, it was kind of like the double, like, 16th note riff or something, where it goes like, dicka, 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 you know? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, 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 the more groovy. That riff. one was really... It kind of changed my way of writing riffs for about a week when I first did that. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I should probably try that, and I did. I'm like, wow, it makes everything sound instantly ten times better. But yeah, <laughs> um, and then of course that is you do have the atonal solo, which is total Slayer, uh-huh. of course, because you know they're coming off the back of of Rain and Blood, like we talked about. In the yeah, section, which just but... yeah, it completely changed metal forever. Mm-hmm. Not just thrash, but yeah, you can just all those death metal records. Mm-hmm. You can tell that that's what they were inspired by. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my uh, I would say that breakdown is also my favorite part. But then specifically, whenever um, it comes out of that groove and it goes right back into that crushing fast riff, mm-hmm. and it goes. To, I guess what you would call the chorus of the song. Uh. Yeah, okay. Because he, cause he actually mentions the word leprosy there. Yeah, leprosy will take control and bring you to your death. What a great <laughs> lyric. <laughs> Man, it just touches me on such an emotional level. Yeah, it, it makes me really scared to get leprosy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> nonsense lyrics. Total nonsense lyrics. Very early death. It's not... It's not that it's nonsense lyrics. It's just, it's not, they're not trying to like tell a story or address a matter. It's just like, let's just talk about something brutal. I mean, in my, in my mind, that's kind of nonsense. You know, you could, you could go somewhere with the leprosy idea, you know? 
Well, it's kind of like how we talked about with Elton John. He's painting a picture. He's not telling a story. Okay. I see it as bad. I don't like the word nonsense. I feel like that that's a bit um, saying that it's just like, oh, it's just, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It makes sense. It's just, again, he's not like trying to like, I guess, make a point. And again, that's, that's, that's a hallmark of early death metal. Okay. It's just, you look at Cannibal Corpse, like all, they don't, they're not trying to say any deeper meaning there. It's just every single song is the most gruesome way a zombie can kill someone. Right. Right. And it's perfect for what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's just a it's a new it's a new way of looking at things. Death metal is just you kind of have to view it in a different way you would like thrash metal. Thrash metal usually has like a meaning behind it. Well, usually as far or like a meaning like behind the lyrics, like they're trying to make a critique of something. Mm-hmm. Or oh, that's um, true, yeah. So you know, death metal, and yes, some I'm not saying all death metal. Some death metal does, and we're about to get into death metal that does try and make an an intentional statement but this early stuff it's meant to just shock and to just kind of make 14 year olds giggle when they're reading the lyrics <laughs> that's the weirdest way of describing that but i i can see it yep <laughs> oh man check out this line oh that's gross man <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's one of those close your eyes and point to a word song yep uh, uh-huh. but it's not like the next song which we're about to talk about we move on yes you know five minutes ago and then we realized we had more to talk about <laughs> um which that's where the best well, yeah. stuff comes um, from suicide machine off of yes. human 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 okay so this this is actually a great transition because now we're moving into Human is the beginning and kind of, I guess, in a sense, spiritual healing, because spiritual healing kind of shows Chuck for the first time, like moving past that lyrically. But human is just it's such a a crazy sounding death metal record for the time that it's kind of the one that just is in the spotlight, mm-hmm. because not only did it change the approach of death metal lyrically, but also the way it sounds, the way it's played. And, you know, kind of, in a way, the first phase of death metal kind of ended when Human came out. Yeah, you kind of mentioned um, in the previous uh, section that it was more uh, complicated time signatures. Uh, It wasn't just Uh straight, fast, brutal stuff. They kind of were trying to add in a little bit of more um, virtuosity, I guess into everything yeah adding a adding a real technicality to it which i kind of see in this song i don't it's not you know i'm i'm used to uh rush because i've listened to rush for you know ever and they have some pretty technical songs and i never really married it with the the whole death metal brutal thing but it still made sense to me so it didn't really stand out to me, yeah. I guess, as much as it would like a different listener. So I can't really comment too much on the uh, extreme. I don't want to say extreme. This is extreme metal. Uh, on the on the uh, <laughs> different standoutness 
of that. So, well, first off, everything doesn't sound like there's dirt on it anymore. Yeah. Okay. Everything is very crisp, very clear. And that was very unusual for a death metal record at that time. Usually you wanted everything to kind of just be uh, more like an assault of the senses Mm -hmm. where it's not as important if you can hear every single thing individually where now it's here, you know, the guitars have a much different tone to it. Um, And then like, you're also walking away from more of the solid pounding uh, rhythm of early death metal to where you have, especially in the drumming, I would say the drumming is among the biggest changes in this album because uh, Sean Reinhardt's approach, he adds a lot of jazz fusion elements into his drumming Mm -hmm. where it's very loose. It's very, it's got a lot of uh, weird turnings around of the beat and uh, placing crash hits in really strange places Mm -hmm. to where it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, when I listen to it, it doesn't feel like he, um, composed his drum parts. Rather, it's just like that's the take that they got, where he's just kind of like doing whatever he wants. <laughs> he knows he knows what the structure is. He knows the parts uh-huh. he has to hit. But as far as where he's going to put a fill, exactly how he's going to play it, where he's going to put his cymbal hits, it feels improvised, which is very unlike early death metal, where it's kind of very much more um, simplistic, even though it's fast and brutal. There's not a lot of complexity to the drumming. Okay. It's more about how fast can you get your double bass. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, And then here it's kind of like now we're introducing like, oh my gosh, it's like if Buddy Rich was a death metal drummer. (laughs) I think you did mention once that uh, this song is more than just about a suicide booth. Yeah, so... um, this was actually a um, a subject that Chuck was very fascinated with in um, kind of the the morality of assisted suicide. Oh, and um, he 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 looks briefly at it in uh, "Pull the Plug." I guess not briefly, but more surface level. Pull the plug on the Leopardy mm-hmm. record. Which is just, you know, it's more about from the patient's side of just, you know, it's brutal if they were in the hospital room asking you to kill them because they don't want to live. But in this, it's now he's looking at it from a societal perspective of like, is it right to just like, you know, help these people commit suicide? Um, At the same time, is it right to keep them alive? And he's kind of... um, like you look at the lyric, when it comes to living, no one seems to care. Uh, but when it comes to wanting out, those with power will be there to prolong the pain. Huh. And so it's just, you know, he's he's now challenging us to look at our own moral um, viewpoints and, and say, do you really believe this? Let's take a closer look at it. Are you just believing what you believe just because you know your religious group or your societal group tells you you should Mm -hmm. he's not even really saying which side is right or wrong he's just kind of making you look at both sides to go hey you know this is the issue you need to be informed and make your own decision about Hmm. this i kind of like that 
that's pretty cool. Which those are my favorite lyrics when you're talking about subject matter like that. It's like, let's take the neutral form of it, present both sides, and then you, the listener, decide. I'm not going to tell you yeah, what to believe. Yeah. But rather, I'm going to present you the uh, impartial facts of mm-hmm. the matter. And it's going to be unbiased. And you decide for yourself. Mm. I'm not used to listening to music like that at all. Uh, because, you know, I am I am kind of the hair metal, thrash metal guy. And a lot of that music uh-huh. is very much, this is my opinion, deal with it. Kind of. So this yeah. is very different, actually. Lyrically. M- musically, I'm kind of used to it. But lyrically, huh, okay. That was more than what I thought it was. Okay. Yeah, it's again, Chuck was Chuck was really evolving as a as a lyricist oh, at this point. And it's one of the things that that is one of the hallmarks of why this is such a revolutionary death metal right. record. And and this set does go wow. in chronological order. Until the very Mostly. end. Mostly. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um so but yes, but and then just um you know musically um what do you have do you have any observations on what's going on with I the mean, music on this song i do kind of like the the part when he says you know we'll be there uh any any screams that it's not once again it's not the vocal style that i like but it serves the song super uh-huh. well they slow down to like half time or quarter time of whatever they were and there's those uh crashes and the double kick action and and there's also a really weird um breakdown somewhere in the middle i think it happens twice i can't i can't tell you what the lyric yeah. was but it sounds really uh like uh there's a lot of effects on and or whatever it is i like that part too yeah when in the in the bass kind of comes out yeah mix a little bit yeah You've got some incredible Steve DiGiorgio front <laughs> yeah, yeah. bass going on here. He's hitting some weird uh, notes. Again, like, it's just, there's a lot of advanced musicality. Uh-huh. When you think of technicality, again, it's kind of unfair to compare it to, like, say, Rushed, where you've got, like, all of these evolving time signatures. and But it's just they're, they're incorporating so much theory mm. into what they're doing now. And uh, credit really to Paul Masvidal for bringing that uh, aspect guitar-wise into Chuck's songwriting. And, of course, he carried it with him from that point. And Steve Giorgio, of course, just really bringing such an advanced um, knowledge of of just music in general to bring to where he's not just copying the guitar, but he's just adding in these jazzy flares that is just like, who in Death Metal mm-hmm. was doing that at that time? Yeah. So Suicide Machine, I think it's it's an incredible song. I think that what they're doing and what they're doing conceptually, musically, lyrically, it's just like it's shown that death metal is moving forward. It's it could have very well gotten stuck in in the the South Florida swamps of just outdoing each other in brutality. But I think that Suicide Machine is just a great example of how death metal was already ready for its next Right, and, and this song does sound a lot like Leprosy in the fact that it's kind of stream of consciousness, but you do get to 
yeah. kind of motifs like the the harmonized guitar line, um, which doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it was particularly well written. It kind of just sounds like, oh, hey, let's harmonize our guitars and put it here. Just kind of experimenting. Uh, I would disagree. I think that that's a well, uh, that's one of my favorite okay. parts of the song. Whatever, whatever. But it de- my point is <laughs> that it it's not just trying to go into another heavy riff after this one is over. Um, and I think that we see that a lot more in the next song. So. Yes. <laughs> I think I it is too. Um, this song is Crystal Mountain. And it's off of yes. the... Um, oh, Symbolic. Symbolic. Okay. I was going to say it was off of uh, whatever the personal, impersonal, individual thought patterns. <laughs> individual, <laughs> but no, individual it's not. Thought patterns, yeah. After that, isn't it? Yes, so we we actually skipping mm-hmm. this album on this. Not because it's not any good. It's an incredible record. It's just the songs on there, I didn't have a place for them in my so set. So we are past the, or we've gotten the influence, infusion of kind of the jazzy stuff. Um, something that's very much outside of the wheel well of, you know, leprosy and human and scream bloody gore. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, so... When this album came out, we had a new form of death metal really coming to the front of the scene. Mm-hmm. It's called melodic death metal. Um, I would like to think that both individual thought patterns and symbolic were kind of pioneer records of that genre. Although most of the credit goes over to um, mm-hmm. Sweden. Because that's, you know, you look at, you had bands like um, At The Gates and Opeth and in flames that were bringing this unparalleled sense of melody, not to the vocals, mm-hmm. but to the guitars to where it's not, you know, that's not just about making these brutal sounding riffs, but like, let's actually give them some musicality mm-hmm. to it to where there's some, there's melody. It's, you know, you could hum along to some of these guitar lines. Yeah. Hey, you're right about that. And so, um, yeah, at at this point, you know, Chuck is really trying to push death metal to places that it didn't lie yet. And Melody was kind of the next frontier after introducing technicality and and more um, advanced musicality. It's now let's add this melodic component right. to it. And let's see if we could still make brutal death metal that has, you know, some sing-song and, elements. And you notice that in kind of the first few seconds of the song the guitar tone is not quite as scooped there's some more mid-range there it's more punchy mm-hmm. you can kind of hear the note better um it's not just 16th yeah. notes or 32nd notes all the way through um there's actually a little bit of you know rhythm to it i guess um and there's some harmonized guitar that's going on and i think that they've they've cracked the code on the harmonized guitar by now because there's a lot of melody lines in here mm-hmm. where the guitars harmonize between each other. And it's a lot more, I think, well thought out than what it was in Suicide Machine. Whereas you're right, Suicide Machine was pretty good. It just, it could have been better. And I think they figured it out on this song. At least before this song. Yes. So. This, this song is kind of like one of their all-time classics. 
um, this is kind of like if you were to make a greatest hits, this would be like one of the essential tracks that has to be on there as far as it being a fan favorite of it being kind of one of their um, one of the gateway songs. A lot of people find that they listen to to get into death for the first okay. time. So- and I, I feel like, you know, this is a song that could win over some of the thrash people because it's kind of a it thrashy is. riff in the. I guess what you would call the verse that that galloping, yeah. But it's just it's it's a thrash riff filled put through the death metal filter. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way. And and if you really think about it, that's kind of what melodic death metal is. You know, from from the start, from the start, death metal was less melodic than thrash. Yes, but. The melody is not the same as Thrash's melody. It actually kind of borrows more from like, um, like a power metal sense. Yeah, I can I can see that a lot more. Where it's very, right. where, where it's very, it's very empowering. It's very anthemic. Mm-hmm. It's there's just there's a certain way the melody's done to where it's not thrash melody. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's 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 almost like you inject a little bit of yes. I was just thinking about the, the melodic uh, harmonized line actually right now, right as you said that. Um, no, yeah. you're right. I think I think power metal does it better. You're you're, you're right about that. Um, and it's it's also weird that there's some acoustic guitar usage in this song, which surprised yes. me um, because it sounds like you know what would structurally you know, to my untrained in death metal ear be the pre-course. I'm, I'm expecting kind of some kind of build, you know, that's what a pre-course is. You build for the chorus, but the dynamics kind of drop. Now the, the drums stay where they are um, in their normal uh, rhythm, but the guitars completely drop out uh, except for bass guitar. And it's now like a very open acoustic line. Yeah. And it was really confusing because it didn't sound terrible. It was still kind of, kind of brutal-ish, you know. But uh-huh. there's some there's some dynamic interplay going along here. I think that it's no coincidence that um, that Opeth's al- first album came out the same year because that is a record that um, really marries together brutal death metal with acoustic guitar. Ooh, Opeth okay. is a band we're gonna definitely visit soon. Because mm. you're just you're gonna we're gonna have so much great discussion out of that. But okay. that's actually a thought that just came to me is you know Symbolic comes out ninety five, uh, Orchid, which is Opeth's first album, comes out ninety five, and you can I just it feels like there's there's a relationship going on in the metal scene where it's just you know certain bands are just like feeding off each other and and sharing ideas and mm-hmm. it's you know death metal community doesn't get enough credit for being such a collaborative and welcoming community as far as just them being willing to share with each other their ideas mm-hmm. their concepts mm-hmm. so mm. you know it's not uh, it's also not as, as much surprise to me because i've just i've heard a lot more of this but thinking of kind of your perception of like death metal not having 
that sound in it, I go, you know what? This was about the time we were introducing those elements in the genre as a whole. So it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the the even weirder thing is that at the at the end of the song, um, you know, you're expecting uh I think Suicide Machine had a solo at the end. Uh-huh. Leprosy certainly had that atonal slayer solo at the end. Yeah. And, and this one also has a solo at the end over distorted guitars, heavy death metal distorted guitars. And it's an acoustic solo. Yeah. With an, and not a clean solo, an acoustic solo, which if you've ever tried to mix acoustic guitars, it's not that easy to be able to get them to sound, you know, a note when it's on top of something as loud and grainy as death metal guitars. Because mm-hmm. those guitars take up like every inch of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, except for the mids, of course. But, but mm-hmm. um, it, it, and, and acoustics too. I mean, most of, most of the sound of the acoustics is the attack. And maybe that's why the, the solo is, you know, faster than, you know, and maybe like a Dave and Gilmore uh, acoustic solo. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. And it's also not the only solo thing. going on at that time, because you also got a, a pretty crazy drum solo going on at this time as well. Yeah, with with the uh, with the harmonized uh, distorted guitars over that. Mm-hmm. And they're going back and forth. Conceptually, this song is just so interesting and so unique for death metal. So what is the Crystal Mountain? Um, you know, I, I don't think I could tell you correctly. It's, mm. it's kind of, I think, up to interpretation. Okay. Um, to me, this song feels like it is a, um, an attack on religious hypocrisy, particularly with that line, inflicting wounds with your cross-turned dagger. Mm. I feel like that that's a pretty... Um, Okay. That's a pretty obvious indicator of what group he's kind of criticizing. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, um, you know, using the cross that's, you know, when it's right side up, it's meant to say, but you turn it around, you can use it to kill. So it's it's that innate hypocrisy in that one little uh, bit of imagery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, saying saying stuff like um, don't cut yourself on your words against dreams made of steel. It's just, he's, he's presenting kind of these, these, um, these coins that have two different sides, just showing that, you know, you're all two faced. What that has to do with a crystal mountain. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Okay. Well, commandments are reborn inside of crystal Mountain. I know that. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> uh, but that's pretty much all I know about Crystal Mountain. You know, I, I was thinking it was about some kind of narcotic. No, <laughs> no, they they were a very straight edge band. Uh, they, uh, yeah. as, as, I don't know about alcohol, but they were not uh, a fan of drugs. I mean, it doesn't sound like drug music either. Yeah, I don't know how you could be on drugs and play this music. I don't know. How you I don't know how you could have been on drugs and play uh, Megadeth music, but Dave Mustaine sure was. 
<laughs> he's he's a special case, I think. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple of those. There are some special cases in history. Uh, yeah. I think this is a good uh, time to move to the next. Yeah. So now we move to uh, an album which is going to get two representations. Yes. Uh, and this is what, you know, all my death metal buddies widely consider, or I'd say widely consider, all five of them widely consider to be the, the greatest uh, death album. You know, I mentioned it before. It's Sound of Perseverance. Uh, the yes, first song and... we're going to talk about is Spirit Crusher. Yes. And I just want to say that I agree with your with your friend. This is this is the best death album. It's certainly got some some higher quality production. Things aren't exactly completely dry, but it's not lo-fi either. It's not the level it's, that it was at Leprosy. You can now it's, hear it's, everything. It's almost kind of like they're they're putting a little bit of the old spirit back into it. A little bit, yeah. And and but you still have that technicality from individual thought patterns and uh symbols symbols symbolic symbolic <laughs> um and this is the the album that has the painkiller cover and this was that was the uh uh only song that i had heard of death before this podcast so it's a pretty great cover obviously the original is better. is untouchable i don't better. think it's it's physically impossible to make a version better than the version they made but they made it their I own i think that I think that that's as good of a cover as you can make. They made it their own, and that's what you do with the covers. You don't really carbon copy. You uh-huh. turn an existing song in, into something that you can genuinely call your And I think that's really cool. Even though I like the Judas Priest original version way better, uh, I can still respect that. And anyway, we're not talking about the painkiller cover. We're talking about Spirit Crusher. <laughs> yeah uh, so i'll let you start on this one uh so this is yeah this is my favorite song of the set okay and it just it has the most moments that just pulverize it it crushes if you will mm-hmm. um also this song is a great time to kind of solidify the typical death song structure right which is where a song moves in a linear fashion, and then at some point, usually after a solo, um, it resets back to the beginning, mm-hmm. and go and and it goes to the end of the song where it stops. Usually, about like two thirds through the original linear progression. Right, which which is one of my favorite song structures for something really heavy. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, it helps you avoid like verse chorus structure, which can get corny and in something as extreme as death metal. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, and yeah. Anyway, but this song the has thing those weird... the thing that the thing that death really pulls out from this song structure is that they always make the time the second time through like so much more powerful and so much more impactful to where when you hear those parts a second time, first off, you're bolstered by your familiarity of those parts. Cause like, Oh, I've heard this part already. Right. And they just make it just a little more intense to where like, it just kind of drives home the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that a lot in the, in the next song, but this song, I think 
to me stood out the most because it has that part where I don't even know how they stay together, which yeah, is basically the majority of the song. Um, uh-huh. From when it yeah. starts, it sounds like how do you know what like the tempo is? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've, I've watched them play this live and I'm just amazed that there's just like, how are they keeping this together? But they do. Yeah. This the style of drumming on this record, first off, it's incredible, mm-hmm. but it's it's really kind of taking the style how I was describing from human mm-hmm. where it feels very improvised and it's like turning it up to eleven. Yeah. Kind of like kind of this yeah. this drumming is so far removed from normal heavy or death metal drumming. Or really any kind of heavy metal drumming. It's it's almost like um, Keith Moon from The Who got turned into a death metal drummer and he's just like using his octopus arms to just hit every single part of the drum at the same time. <laughs> are you talking about, like, are I you listen... talking about the, the weird um, kind of breakdown parts? I'm talking about just about everything in this song and in the next song. No, there's Toward... some slow parts on this song. I mean, yeah, most of it, yes. But like there's, as a drummer, okay. me listening. Okay. There's just stuff he hits in there. I'm just like, I don't even understand how you pull that off. Is this the human drum machine drumming? No, it's not Gene Hoagland. Gene Hoagland played on Crystal Mountain. Gene Hoagland is much more of a a solid, precise drummer. Okay. Um, Very, very creative in how he approaches his grooves, but he is not this style of drummer. Not not the uh, weird crazy bang on everything He's very very brand dealer-esque okay I... to where it's just kind of like it's very chaotic but somehow it always like hits back on the ah line. right okay i got you i got you um, like you just you hear the fill and you're like, there's no way he's gonna make it to the one in time and somehow he does and you're just like bravo yeah no, that's true. I, I listening to the Mastodon that I listened to, I definitely can see that. But but the drumming on I mean, I hate to say this about Brian Daylor, but he just he wouldn't do something like this. He wouldn't do something, you know then for those breakdowns. You probably parts. haven't listened to a lot of early Mastodon because he does that a lot in early Mastodon. He's he's chilled out as they've gone further in their career. Maybe you listen to the first you listen to the first couple records and you're just like, holy crap, man, relax. I mean, the earliest record I have listened to is Crack the Sky, which is probably normal. Oh, oh no. I'm talking about like uh, Leviathan. Yeah, that's what Remission. I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Specifically Leviathan. He's just, he does stuff. I'm just like, oh my God, it's incredible, but I don't know how he's doing it. He does stuff like this. He does stuff like Spirit Crack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Again, I wouldn't say as extreme because, again, he's, you know, this is death metal as opposed to more like sludge metal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, this song just has so many great moments in it. The, um, some highlights for me being when you're in that original tempo and it, he does the human at sight, monster at heart. And as soon as yes. he does monster, the tempo just jacks yes. up. Oh. And he's, and he's saying, don't let it inside. It could tear you right apart. And it's just, it feels like all of a sudden, like, um, like he's saying human at sight. And it's like, it's almost like he's, the music is representing a human that 
takes the mask off and you see this terrifying monster and it immediately lets all of its pretenses down and it's rushing at you full speed. Yeah. And you're like trying to frantically get away. Uh Uh-huh. That's always the image that comes to my mind during that section. I think it's so effective. Yeah, with the music playing in my head as you're describing it, it is kind of scary. Yeah. And then you have the... uh, the the crushing riff, which I think was intentional to match with the spirit crusher uh-huh. part, um, as well as you know Chuck hitting some incredibly high screams. Oh <laughs> yes, you're right. About glorious that. sounding. You're right. Well, I don't know if it's glorious operatic. It it is to me. It's it's the it's the same it, level of impressive. It's not big full note. It's kind of. It's not it's not that it's not impressive, but it's very extreme. <laughs> I don't know I, mean, what, I, I don't know I another way to describe it. I can't it. think of any other vocal style that could as effectively convey the lyrics that he's saying in that moment. If you sing it, I feel like it kind of loses some of its um No, you're right. intensity. You're right. It, 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 he definitely needed to sing it the way that it was spirit crusher yeah well okay <laughs> well, welcome welcome to uh judas priest we're gonna actually sing the note yeah no it wouldn't be the same yeah. it wouldn't be the same if rob halford did this song i i love rob halford's vocals but it wouldn't be the same Chuck- no he could do he could totally do painkiller style vocals right there well okay Oh, well, okay. but that's probably a debate for another I, time. But yeah, <laughs> I think we should go on. Go ahead and move on to the next song. Yeah, okay. Because this song is just weird. You just have to kind of listen to it to be able to understand the words. Now, this one is I have actually heard of this one before. This is "Flesh and the Power It Holds." Supposedly, it's a big deal among death fans. Oh, yeah. This is up there with Crystal Mountain as being not just one of the most iconic death songs, but one of the most iconic death metal songs of all time. They're uh, kind of like they're paranoid. They're master of puppets. I would I would say it's closer to their master of puppets. It's because paranoid kind of conjures up like it was a radio single. Oh, oh, you're right. OK. Um, but no, yeah, it's their it's their it's their big epic that just like. The riffs are held in high esteem by extreme metal guitar players. Um, it's just it's got it's got just like the the best kind of death metal hooks. Yeah, no, it does, and it, and it starts um, with not exactly harmonized guitars, but unison guitars, and yeah, and it's, really weird. It's very unsettling. It, yeah, it is, and it, it's it's weird intervals there's a lot of flat fives there's a lot of you know devil chords and and intentionally used to kind of be evil without being heavy in your face slamming double bass stuff yeah <laughs> kind of black sabbath-esque honestly yeah it kind of is um I, I really, yeah. I like the way that they build in this song too. I mean, it doesn't start with the main riff. It, it like uh-huh. not even close. You have to wait like a minute or so before you get to the main riff. But once it's there, it's it's so simple that if they started there, it would have been kind of like, huh. But they introduced it really well. 
Yeah, they do. And I think I, that's that's one of my favorite things that when composers do that is when they have something really simple and they introduce it really well. Um, there was a Between the Buried and Me song that did that. Uh, and so I can uh-huh. really respect that. But um, this whole song, the whole structure is just really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I would say that this has maybe the most iconic, um, at least to me, um, death lyric with being it'll take you in it'll spit you out behold the flesh and the power it holds yeah just like what a what a powerful line and the way he delivers it the way the guitars lean back to really give him the the forefront and how do you write like a chorus that does that you know because it's it's at the point where uh you can't exactly I don't know how I'm going to say it. You can't really do that in 4-4, in straight 4-4. Yeah. You have to write the chorus intentionally around that lyric or it just isn't going to work. And so it's very interesting mm-hmm. to see the writing process. I mean, obviously Chuck writes it all himself, but maybe sometimes, you know, fours and fours as far as, you know, are the lyrics first, are the riffs first, you know, is the structure first and whatever. Um, I, I think that's unique. And, and I, I don't know what else I have to say about that. I just thought it was really interesting. And it's, yeah. It's, yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to, I want to highlight the part of the song where it goes into like, where the drums really speed up and it does like this, these ringing open chords that like the harmonies are, creating these weird eerie melodies um you know what part trying of talking about the oh, 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 yes i know you're talking about uh-huh. the the atmosphere in that in that section is like so nice it's it almost kind of has a bit of a black metal feel to it yeah yeah no it does kind of conjuring the atmosphere of it it does just showing that Chuck was really borrowing just from whatever gave him inspiration and created no rules for himself. Which is kind of cool. And speaking of, of oh. no rules, we also have a really interesting middle Oh, I was just about to go to that. Um, and I yeah. think this is kind of what what tips it towards the scale of their Master of Puppets because they have kind of a weird breakdown in the middle of that. It's a lot more accessible than this one. Uh, this breakdown, it, it pretty much... It goes to what is essentially nothing. Uh, and then there's that mm-hmm. bass line. It's, the first time it's a, uh, it's a it, guitar. That's just tuned weird or something, maybe. Yeah, and, uh, and Chuck does that crazy solo. And then when it like cuts out again, it switches to Right, and, and that solo, too, is, is Slayer speed, kind of, but not the atonality. Yeah, it's 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 a really sinister sounding melody, but it's it's melody for sure. And I really love the tone on this solo. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's kind of got a, it's kind of got a little bit of dime bag in it. Well, okay. There's a, there's a little At bit of dime my... bag in every guitar tone now, but um, yeah. I, mm, okay, I can see it. Like if listening kind of to like the, the beginning like the... of like Cemetery Gates or something, I can kind of see a little bit in there. Um, 
like just kind of how the high, how the highs really screech at you. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. That that aspect. Yeah, we'll see that a lot with the next song, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, okay. You can you can definitely see there's a lot of weird experimentation. They've come a long way from leprosy. Leprosy. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's not so much being brutal every second of the song. It's more kind of challenging your ears into what music really is, which good mm-hmm. or bad, you know, you kind of had to respect that as a musician, uh, trying different things. Yeah. That, that's why, you know, this song isn't, even though I don't really like the vocal style that's going on right now, I certainly like the vocals during Leprosy better. I can appreciate the fact that they're trying new things. And even if it does mm-hmm. kind of fall completely flat, you've tried it. So I don't like listening. To uh, but that's songs. the thing. I don't. I don't think it does fall completely flat I'm, at all. I'm, I wasn't saying it did either. I'm just saying if it were to have, oh, gotcha, you know, gotcha. big whoop. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think we go ahead. Let's and move, move on, on to the final, final song. song. Uh, so this final song is off the very first album. Definitely. It felt appropriate to me to kind of end things where they began, to come full circle. So, Evil Dead. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man, I feel so bad for the uh, sound production here. Um, Leprosy, I mean, obviously, they figured it out by then. They figured out how everything needed to sound. They figured out how to mix everything. Uh, I love the sound of Leprosy so much. But Scream Bloody Gore when I first hear it, it's like, wow, the guitars sound great. The drums are kind of right where they need to be. And then the main riff hits and all you can hear is bass. And it, like you said earlier, it does kind of sound DIY. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to defend Scream Bloody Gore a little bit here. It's actually, to me, the album besides Sound of Perseverance that I enjoy going back to the most. There's just something about how it feels, the atmosphere of it. There's almost kind of like a little bit of fun in it. <laughs> like it's a just, little. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of a hard to describe why it would be fun to someone that's like, what's fun about death metal? <laughs> um, it's just... It's just, it's the right amount of craziness and yeah. ridiculousness that you just kind of can't help but smile while you listen to it. And for me, when I listen to something like Evil Dead, I'm not as much concentrating on listening to all the different parts. It's more of just, it turn on, the head starts banging, and it's just like kind of getting lost in the song of itself. Mm-hmm. And... While, yes, the mix is not great from an objective standpoint. And to say that it is, I'm not going to also say it's the best sounding death metal record because of its lo-fi production. But I don't want this album to be dismissed because of its mix or to say that it's a weak point of the album. I think that it serves a different function, at least to me. And I know that there are other death metal fans out there that prefer the the grimier lower style and don't like as much the clearer sound of death right i mean i can i can see that and i can see your line of thinking but i would think that if they were to mix it today 
or maybe have mixed it the way they wanted to back then, it might have sounded a little bit different, you know. But I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. There's just again, there's a no, there is. To I agree that I like if I were to hear an, uh, a remixed version of it, I don't think I would like it as much. But I also don't know. I very well. I mean, that's well could, that's what it was like to but... uh, the final kill, um, the uh, the killing is my remaster. Um, the original, mm-hmm. but it's lo-fi. The means things to the forefront that you never heard before. And you kind of learn to appreciate things that you didn't appreciate. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. this is an album that, just based off this song, I think this is an album that would benefit from that. Maybe not for the listeners like you that like the lo-fi stuff, but maybe for the listeners like me who like things to be a little bit clearer. Um, a- another thing that you really notice is that his vocals have come a long way. This is the first album. Yeah. And, and he's, uh-huh. he's already doing really high screams, but he's still kind of wanting to do those low guttural main vocals. Whereas he yeah. just came up with sound Again, of you know, he's doing something he that doing... No, he's doing something that no one right. has done yeah. at that point. And so he's kind of in he's like yeah, yeah, inventing yeah. And, it. and and um we came off the sound of perseverance and, and just now and, and he has kind of those high squealy vocals. And uh, here in mm-hmm. Evil Dead, you can hear that he's, he's, we're back in the early days and he's got those low vocals. So you can hear kind of his voice change over time through this set, which I kind of like. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I think this song has just so many great moments. It's that, that, um, that fake ending yes. where it, then yes, it comes right that. back in. Um, the chorus is great. That scream yeah. of Evil <laughs> Dead is just it's iconic death metal. Um, I love the chord sequence in the verses. The bow down, 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 down. And I think it's just, it's an epic way yeah, to end. It is. Back to the roots. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be it for this segment. So, uh, stay tuned with us. We're going to give our final thoughts and do the bonus song. So, um, stick with us. We'll be right back. Okay. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, let's go ahead and knock this out. I'll let you All right. intro. All right. Three, two. Hello, and welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about our six death songs. Um, just to recap, those songs were Leprosy, Suicide Machine, Crystal Mountain, Spirit Crusher, Flesh and the Power It Holds, and Evil Dead. And now we are going to finish up with our bonus song. So, Lucas, what is a bonus song for our listeners who are new? So the bonus song is a song from a lesser known artist, typically, or maybe a uh, artist that just had one or two big songs, but an artist that we would not dedicate an entire episode to. But I usually try and pick an artist that has some kind of connection to the main artist and um this is just our chance to kind of highlight some songs that normally would not get the time of day so um that's kind of the whole reason for picking this so um with that in mind let's go ahead and talk about what the bonus song is and it's a very appropriately named uh <laughs> yeah song yeah yeah, yeah. uh it's death just metal. it's just called death metal <laughs> by possessed Yes. So, so are they are they yeah. a, uh, are they a layer remake or are they a 
Death remake. So they are a Slayer remake. So this actually predates Death's first album. This actually came out in 1985. Wow. Wow. And I would say that this is this is the only album that could challenge Death with being the first Death Metal record. I mean, they made a song called Death Metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, hmm. But Possessed ended up not being major players in the scene. Um, they did not make another album until, like, about 10 years ago. Ooh, wow. Okay. And most of the guys were, like, 16 years old when they recorded this. Mm. Wow. But, um, you know, they, um, the album was called uh, Seven Churches, and I've listened to the album. And, I mean, just, yeah, you can hear the beginnings of death metal here. I mean, it's still a very heavily thrash-oriented, but, I mean, you can hear the guttural vocals in there. You can hear the sped-up guitar riffs. Um, And... You know, had maybe this album been bigger upon release? Because, I mean, this was independently made and released, so not many people got a hold of this. It's kind of, you know, in retrospect, people have gone backwards and discovered this record and gone, oh, maybe this is the true beginning of death metal. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, as far as just, you know, as far as impact and the true... um, like elements being put in place, I would say that it's still scream bloody gore. But this album is still kind of an interesting one to look at and go, you know, you can still hear that the seeds were being sown. Mm-hmm. And I think that they they fell victim to the whole, you know, first album sounds bad uh, thing that happens to a lot of bands. You know, I mean, very very few bands will have a great sounding first album. Boston's the most notable. Uh, Metallica has a great sounding first album. But I mean, if you listen to most other metal bands like uh, Anthrax, terrible. Uh, Megadeth is their first album just sounds. Oh, my goodness. It just sounds so bad. Great songs, full songs. But the sound engineering just wasn't there. And I think that that's what happened to Possessed as well, because I feel like if had they had maybe a, a better sounding first album maybe they would have gone a little bit where uh further in their career because this song i mean as soon as you started up the guitars just they just mud <laughs> just total mm-hmm. mud yeah uh and, and you can hear a pretty good riff pretty good you know thrashy riff underneath there somewhere mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't cut through the way that it should and and i think that that's kind of yeah but. Now, the thing is, though, is that I want to clarify that even though the song doesn't sound as great, it is a great song. Oh, that's for sure. And there, I'm not otherwise, saying anything I'm, about this the song. Otherwise, I wouldn't be putting it on the plate. No, so I'm not saying anything about the song composition. I think the song composition is pretty good. But um, it's it's unfortunate that the, that the sound engineering is the way it is. Yes, so. I agree. Even even with my appreciation for lo-fi, this is very lo-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but this is, this song is in this album is very historically important as far as the evolution of metal. Mm-hmm. 
it really was the first of its kind. If you want to say that maybe truly Slayer was the first of its kind, even though again this they're they're known as a thrash band. Um, you know, Slayer, I guess you could say, and really, if you wanted to go even farther back, you could say Venom. Um, Venom is kind of the true beginning of extreme metal, even though they weren't that extreme looking backwards. Um, but I think it's still an interesting uh, album and song to look at. Also, Death did cover this song. <laughs> so there's also that extra connection. Okay. So, yeah. So, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts. Yes, okay. So Grant, what's your opinion of death? So, the band, not death as a concept. <laughs> uh, so, um, obviously I'd heard of them. I'd heard their painkiller cover. Didn't like it as much, but I, I could see kind of... I mean, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard song to beat. It, that's true. That's true. Um, and they covered it well... As, about as good as he could. Um, but I could kind of see what kind of band they were based off of that song. And so I thought I knew what to expect. Um, obviously, I not... You didn't tell me what band this was when we were listening to the song. And so when I heard the first song, I'm like, hmm, I don't really know what kind of band this is, but I kind of like this. The vocals, I'm kind of not sure about but i can see it and i really loved their guitars i love how they mix guitars how they make the drums sound uh how everything sounds good subtracting evil dead these five songs i think were mixed great um i think they had that going for them i think that they had the the extreme element going for them i like things that push the boundaries of music um i like things that are a little bit different and they're definitely a little bit different um, and some of the little things that they do in their songs are, are things that I would add, like specifically like the intro to leprosy. He does kind of that weird scream. I had like in one of my songs that I wrote like three months ago, I did something very similar and I was like, wow, like this band is kind of what I want to be little bit more extreme on the vocals, but musically what I want to become as an artist. And I think I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you might disagree with this, but unfortunately, I mean, the vocals don't really do it for me. You know? Um, and mm -hmm. so I'd have to say, this isn't going to be one of my favorite metal bands. Just because of that, I know that's like, for some people, that's like, oh, you don't like the brutal vocals? How can you be a metal fan? But I just, I'm not. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, I respect their musicianship. I, I respect a lot of musicians as compositionalists and, and overall influencers of the music scene. End of rant. End of final thought. That's my final. Okay. <laughs> All right. If that makes any sense. So, so Death was the first death metal band that I ever listened to, and Sound of Perseverance being the first death metal album that I ever turned on to. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's not the first harsh vocalist that I'd ever listened to. Um, I was in, I was really into Meshuggah, and As I Lay Dying before then, 
and also was really getting into like later era Pantera, which has some very extreme vocals. Um, but I had always like stayed away from death metal because it was just it seemed like it was too much for me, and I wasn't a fan of harsh vocals overall yet at that point. And I will say that death was the band that won me over to that camp. Whenever I listen to Sounds of Perseverance, I was just like, okay, I think I'm I'm a fan of extreme music now officially. And uh, I, but I never listened to a lot of other stuff. I just like always listen to Sound of Perseverance. And in working on this episode, I kind of really got to, for the first time, get a deep dive on the rest of their catalog and have found so much stuff that I love. And so, um, and just kind of truly understanding how important they are and what their impact was on the metal scene. Just, this is a band that has jumped very, very high up on my list for me. A band mm. that I'm excited to go back and visit. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. That's your final thought. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, we have nothing else. We do not. Um, everyone, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, remember to please hit the subscribe button and uh, to leave us a review, leave us a rating. Let us know what bands you want us to cover in the future. And uh, also make sure to check us out on social media. Check out our Facebook and our Instagram pages. Get involved in the conversations we've got going there. And also make sure to check out the links in every episode. We've got one link that'll take you to that Spotify playlist. Please listen to these songs. Um, even if this is not your cup of tea, um, still go check it out. You may be surprised by what you find. As well as uh, the other link that'll take you to uh, a page where you can donate to the channel. And make sure you tune in for next week's episode. We are going to be going to our very first volume two next week. Oh, yes, we we're are. Finally, we're finally returning back to an artist that we have talked about in a previous episode. I'm very excited. This is doubling back on one of my essential four, one of my four pillars. So if you remember what those are, then you'll have a one in four chance of guessing which one it's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm yeah. really excited to see what this episode is going to be like to do our first ever deep dive. And so make sure that you guys check in with that 9 a.m. Central Monday morning. And with nothing else left to say, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And keep on listening to good music. We'll see you next time. <laughs>